Hey everybody, welcome to the Control Yourself podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by FunctionalAnatomySeminars.com. Visit Functional Anatomy Seminars uh, for all upcoming certifications in the functional range systems, including functional range conditioning, functional range assessment, kin stretch, functional range release, or any of our webinars. Um, go ahead and visit FunctionalAnatomySeminars.com for upcoming online and live dates. This episode is also brought to you by Westside Barbell. Uh, visit westside-barbell.com. Um, if you're in the strength and conditioning world, you, you, you probably know who Westside Barbell is. If you don't and you don't know the work of Louis Simmons and the guys at Westside Barbell, please go over there and check them out. They are at the highest level of uh, powerlifting, strength and conditioning. They use very up-to-date scientific methods. Um, hit up that site for a bunch of Westside merchandise, uh, bands, equipment, uh, you name it, educational materials. They have a great podcast as well. When there, use the promo code DRE10, that's D-R-E-10, uh, upon checkout to receive 10% off of your purchase. Uh, on today's show, I am joined by my good friend and colleague, Dr. Sean Thistle. Um, I've known Dr. Thistle for many, many years now. We actually went to school together, which comes up a few times in the podcast. Uh, but since um, school, uh, Dr. Thistle is a practicing chiropractor. He's also an international speaker, uh, speaker uh, medical legal consultant, and he also is owner of RRS Education, which um, is a website, rrseducation.com. Uh, go there. They have research reviews, thousands of research reviews. Um, what Dr. Thistle's company does is they, they take the scientific literature when it pertains to manual therapy, and they have a bunch of high-level clinicians reading through that material and, and putting up reviews so that you can keep up to date on the, uh, the latest research. Uh, so I advise you to go check them out on rrseducation.com as well as at Dr. Sean Thistle um, on uh, Instagram and on Twitter. Uh, the topic today, we talk a lot about the philosophy of science. Um, Sean's been in, the, in the, the literature realm for many, many years. He also teaches at the chiropractic school, so he's extraordinarily up to date on uh, the latest literature. So we talk about not only the latest literature, but about how to use it, how not to use it, um, some of the misunderstandings surrounded evidence, uh, surrounding evidence-based practice and evidence-based care. Um, we talk a lot about uh, some of the, the, the newer kind of literature reviews on posture, on, on manual therapy. Uh, we get into some training. Uh, we get into a lot of stuff. So anyway, I, I hope you guys enjoy the show. And without further delay, I bring you my conversation with Dr. Sean Thistle. Welcome to the Control Yourself podcast. Um, you know, we, I never have introductions, so I don't know why I started that introduction. I'm here with Dr. Sean Thistle, uh, who is, uh, how do I explain Dr. Sean Thistle? He's a personal friend of mine, but you know what, Dr. Thistle, why don't you give me a potted version of why you are important, I guess I want to. Oh, wow. That's, that's one way to put it. Um, well, um, as you said, we've been friends for a long time. We went to school together at CMCC, which feels like a long time ago uh, now. But um, since then, I was in practice for 
14 years ish, um, working on a variety of different clients and, you know, ranging from pro athletes down to just regular people like everybody else. And, uh, in the meantime, I was building a company, uh, that deals with knowledge transfer. So just like you and we were in school, we were kind of nerdy and like to read stuff and uh, make people try and understand it. And, Funny uh, enough, I don't remember it that way. I remember, me, I remember me being cool as shit and riding in on a horse and stuff. Yeah, and like, like it was a unicorn, it? wasn't it? Yeah, like, but I, <laughs> we clearly remember different things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I guess no so. joke, to, to, to cut what you're saying, I was gonna say that in many classes, between you, me, and the instructor, that was the only discussion going on. For, for the extent of whole courses at some points. That, that sounds familiar. Yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, like uh, as I was in practice, I always realized that I like treating patients and it's fun and everything, but um, I enjoy speaking and I like the knowledge transfer bit and seem to have a knack for helping people understand research. So I started a company where we did um, <clears throat> a subscription service where we review a paper every week and help people apply it into practice. And that branched out over time, kind of like your company into different things. So now we do online courses and I do seminars uh, mainly for chiropractors mm -hmm. uh, where we, we spend a day and we talk about uh, research and how it informs practice on things like spinal pain or, or headaches or concussion or, or disc problems and so on. So the company is called RRS Education and uh, we have customers all over the world and uh, I do it full time now. So I still see some patients. Uh, they either come to my house or I go and see them uh, mostly near where I used to practice. I usually go in once or twice a month, put my table in the truck and go and see some people. Um, and some of my athletes, when they're in town, uh, I see them too. But that's the, the guys I worked on <laughs> are all kind of retired now. So they're, they're, they're kind of buggering off into other places. So, <laughs> yeah. So well, that's good. We'll add on. Oh, you know what? I should probably turn that volume down. Uh, yeah, and as well, you can still hear me? Yes. What? I can't yeah. hear you. Oh. Can you hear me now? Yes. See, now I can hear you. This oh. is the first podcast that we've done uh, post, uh, you know, pigs starting to fly and, and fat ladies starting to eat them out of the sky, I suppose. <laughs> uh, so post-COVID-19. Yeah. <laughs> so this is the first time uh, we've done a podcast this way. So I'm going to be fucking around with my controls a whole hell of a lot. And as we were discussing before, we may or may not have pants on, which is new for me. I mean, I you know what I mean? I, I've done, I put on my good sweatsuit for you today. It's my Wednesday track suit. So you're welcome. Yes. Um, sponsored by Nike. I see. Yeah. I just said, uh, I just said to my wife this morning, I don't think I've worn leather shoes or a watch in about like six weeks. <laughs> I didn't even put socks on, man. I'm no, just, no. I'm just barefoot. Like that. Oh, me too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And again, the pants will remain that's an unknown for both of us right now. And that's how Zoom goes, man. <laughs> now I'm going to add to your bio, but I do want to point out, you just won uh, an award in our profession. So again, for those of you who don't know, uh, Sean and I went to school, to chiropractic school together uh, at Canadian Memorial Chiropractic College in Toronto. And then you just won the, is it for OCA? Is that the? Yeah, I won the, uh, the OCA Chiropractor of the Year. So that was really Holy. Thank One you. of my classmates. <laughs> one of my classmates. Yeah, how about that? That's excellent. So, you know what? We can talk about a billion things. Um, yeah. I think if we want to narrow this down, mm -hmm. considering that you branched off and became 
the research guy or a research guy. So yeah. for, for those of you who don't know, when people ask, like, how do you stay up to date with all the literature? It's a, it's a strange question because nobody mm -hmm. stays up to date with all the literature. That's, that's not, and even you, you run a, 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 you know, what was called a research review service. Like you're, mm -hmm. you're consuming research, research, you're, you're giving uh, the breakdown of, of, of what people need to know. Yeah. Um, and even in that regard, you're not really following all the research. So no, I, I don't think anybody can. Um, yeah, absolutely. You know, not. It's, you know, and, and I cater, I cater to a very clinical kind of chiropractic audience, mm -hmm. but that means you still have to pay attention to multiple areas of research to try and make some overall sense of it. And that's, you and I are talking about that quite a bit. That's what I wanted to get into because um, I personally, I feel like there's, there's a, a perpetual misunderstanding as to what research is and what research should be doing for you. I guess yeah. that's a bad way to put it. What you should expect from research, where there's people who uh, look at research as they're trying to find an answer to a question. Mm -hmm. um, and then it just becomes a matter of who read that paper last, right? It's like everyone is only as smart as the last four, three, four papers they've read. Uh, those, you know, when, when people are yeah research this said this this said that and opinions are constantly changing um even though the amount of research is not sufficient to change people's mentality so there's just yeah. like, speak, speak to that because you've been dealing with your whole career the yeah. misunderstanding of research so it's this it's this thing right like no we're, we're at a point now in most of the areas that you deal with and that i deal with where one paper probably isn't going to shift the landscape too much but, but all research kind of is additive in its, in its knowledge. And the problem with how people consume it typically is, you know, they consume it in little bits. And I try and do digestible bits. But as you know, I also do it in a bit of a longer format. Like I think there's a happy medium between an infographic with two bullet points about a paper and then reading the whole paper. And I think that's where I try to live. Like I, I feel like as professionals, we have to give research a bit of respect and spend a bit of time to get to understand what it means, how it works, how it's being done. But, uh, you know, the, the way an individual clinician or practitioner consumes research is really variable. Like it ranges from people not consuming it at all, or they only look at things that can confirm their own existing biases. And I think that's a huge problem in most professions and that that is littered throughout chiropractic like people don't want to hear about things unless it makes them feel nice about how they already think or how they already do things and so <clears throat> I, i've called that like fair weather research consumption like they want to hear about it as long as it makes them feel happy inside and i'm not sure that's what research is for research is to inform thought and it's to inform action, but it can't be the only thing you lean on. And I've always, you know, people might misunderstand me as someone who just leans hundred percent on evidence. But I, I think when I was younger and when I started this company, I leaned a little bit that way, but I think part of maturing as a clinician and as a person, and then as you see how research is uh, evolving on numerous fronts in combination with what we've sort of known and investigated for years, you have to take a broad view of things and realize that there's still a very variable human being in front of you, whether you're doing exercise with them or whether you're going to put your hands on them and do something or whether you're even going to talk to them. So I think research is part of the, 
matrix that informs all clinical interactions. We just, you know, my task in my career is to make people at least acknowledge that the research part is there. And that's not easy sometimes. Like research, like you said, is overwhelming to some degree. Like I can't keep up on everything. I look at probably, I think it's about 85 or 90 journals a month and just see what's there. And then I pull it and I have a folder of like thousand papers that I go through once a year and make sure I'm not missing anything important or I place it in a folder to put in one of my slide decks or whatever, or decide what we're going to review. And I, I do that with my writers and stuff too, but the possibility is there that I miss things sometimes, but if I'm missing things, holy shit, like people are missing everything. So I think, you know, and if you back up even from that, sorry, this is a long answer, but if you back up even from that idea of how do you get, I have nowhere to go. Yeah, I know. (laughs) I can't go outside because it's raining and it's awful. Um, But I think we have to take a hard look at how our whole society interacts with science because partly I think there's a lot of research coming out now in every field, a lot of which isn't great. Like I think 30 years ago, getting a PhD and being an academic wasn't quite as sexy an option as it is now. So the result of that is there's a lot of research being published, but I would argue a lot of it is not terribly useful. Um, And that's no knock against individual researchers, but the, the job of evaluating, and you would know this too, figuring out the good stuff from the not so good stuff is becoming really hard and partly because it's a volume issue and partly because of the publishing standards and um, landscape, let's say like predatory journals, online journals, just because something says it's peer reviewed doesn't necessarily mean it's peer reviewed anymore. And peer review is subject to its own problems as well. So Mm -hmm. I've become a little more open to talking about just the limitations of research as a system and how we interact with it as individuals, as professions and as a society. Like you and I are both gonna be in the healthcare system at some point as patients. Mm -hmm. And so you want them to use what our tax dollars pay for in terms of, you know, what are, what are the results of good credible science say? And if it doesn't trickle down to actual action in the healthcare system, then what's the point? Yeah. There's a lot to unpack there. So yeah. Yeah. No, I I, have the rest of my coffee. So there's there's a lot of points there, but some of the ones that I pull out uh, right away is some of the things that I like to lecture to um, at the seminars. And then another thing I wanted to bring up just so I don't forget is how it's weird, how you're looked people look at you in one way with regards to how you interact with research and other people who don't, who've never met me, they think I interact with research on the complete opposite scale, which is so far from the truth. So let's, let's get to that. Um, But the first point I was going to, I was going to speak to is I always tell my students who attend those seminars is that the scientific revolution is, you know, I would say five to 600 years old. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you give or take, you know, a few years in there. Yeah. <laughs> but in order to really understand the, the, um, the, the scope of knowledge that has been accumulated over five to 600 years on a particular topic, it almost warrants that you take a complete, you call it a 30,000 feet, a bird's eye view. Yeah, yeah. We're getting at. Yeah. Um, because without that bird's eye view, especially now, and you brought up another point about social media, especially now that we're all being forced into our little comfortable spaces where I only see posts that I like. Sure. Right. All of that together 
like the idea that research, like there's a lot of people that you, you probably know as well, that if a paper is more than five years old or 10 years old, it's like they have a number in their brain, whatever information could have been garnered from that research is no longer relevant because it's not new enough. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So you have people all the way on that scale. And then you spoke to the idea that we're kind of in our little bubbles, but that's not a new thing. Even when we were in school, like how many people ventured outside of, you know, journal of manipulative JMPT or spine. Yeah. How many people went in? I mean, we did all the time. We kept yelling that you have to, like we were in plastic surgery journals. Yeah. Know, we were looking at evolutionary biology, but you're right. You're kind of pigeonholed into a particular area of research. And then you you're led to believe that there's no other outside factors that should influence what you do other than the soundboard of your profession. Sure. Yeah. And that's, you know, people are, I think social media is partly guilty for this. Like you said, it's the, the, the algorithms built into those systems and that's like a conspiracy talk. We can have some other time, but they're really, those platforms are unfortunately really starting to shape how people think. And I, I don't know if that was their initial goal, but I think that's their current result. And that, that blend, that boils over into politics and a whole bunch of other things. Like we have to be careful with that. And science is not immune to that problem. Right. So mm -hmm. well, um, I would say that it, science is, is not only not immune to that problem, but science is in the, the forefront of that problem because it's, it's a reliance on experts, which is another area that is slowly dwindling. So you have this, oh, yeah. if, if know, not, it's, it's already evaporated. If not, I, I'm trying to be nice, you know, <laughs> It's like you can't, there, there is no, there, there is no such thing as authority. There is no such thing as, you know, rigor. There is no such thing as, you know, there's to be honest, like we went through and, and for, for, for my system, I, you have a system too. Like we all have a system for my system is, is one that I teach other people, but I've been an, analyzing my system, which is my way to do things ever since I can remember remembering that this is the system I want to use. Like yeah, at every yeah. point along the way, it's like, is this making sense? Is it logical? Um, is, it, is it, and this is with an influx of people who, because of the social media age, they, they see one sentence of something you said and they automatically jump on it and start, you know, bashing what you're saying without any context, without any long term sure. discussion as to what you're doing. So getting back to what I was saying before, it's like, You've been looked at because you're a research guy, whatever that means. Mm -hmm. You've looked at it, this guy who is a staunch researcher. I'm assuming that people don't even want to talk to you about research because they can't quote RCTs and the years and dates in the back of their head. Yeah, yeah, I, I get and, some of that. Okay, and I know that to be completely false because from my interactions with you all these years, what I realize is that you're doing with science what was originally intended in science. It's not like this is a new concept. If you you know, look at the people who, the philosophers of science, they'll say, they've been saying the whole time, you can't rely on research uh, for evidence. Research and evidence is not the same thing, technically. Mm. Research is, is the, you know, the attempt to build knowledge, but evidence is the pooling of knowledge. Yeah, I would, I would say that's true. And it's, you know, it gets into the discussion of the pillars of evidence-based medicine. And, you know, in, in the chiropractic profession specifically, there are some that rely solely on their clinical experience, which if I, if I would say respectfully is often dogmatized a little bit based on their education, depending on what school they went to or how long ago they went to school, for example. Mm 
Mm -hmm. um, patient preferences are important, and I think everyone needs to listen to that part of the, the, the triad a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And evidence is one part. And, and I think people naturally have a bias in terms of which portion of that model they want to pay more attention to. The challenge is really sewing them all together into something that makes sense in clinic or in the gym or wherever. And that's where the challenge of it is. And I don't think, I don't think really anyone's done it perfectly yet. And it's, it's really, you know, <clears throat> it, it's hard to get people to get a grasp on that in a way that's meaningful for them because, you know, in our profession and in the training and strength and conditioning world too, a lot of people just do stuff because that's what they've always done. And that's what they were taught. And, you know, the, human learning is an evolutionary process that, that even exists within someone's lifetime. But it seems like we put artificial starts and stops on that. Like I'm, I'm in chiropractic college now and I graduated 10 years ago and I'm like, okay, cool. So you know that you and I know a lot of the stuff we were taught there is kind of bullshit. And I'm not saying that in a bad way. I just mean like science has evolved and what I teach there, I teach at that college. And my lectures are different this year than they were three years ago, never mind 10, 12 years ago. And so knowledge evolves, but getting people to, that's an uncomfortable thing for people because people like to think they know stuff and that it's concrete and that it's unchanging, but I don't think that's the way it is. And it, having that open mind is a challenge for some people, for sure. And then on the, on the flip side, so we were, we were talking about the research in general. So I also seem to think, and maybe again, this is a, a factor of the social media influence that some people actually use research. How do I put to web? They weaponize research. Oh yeah. Is that, is that, is that okay? So this is a, when I say that term, you understand exactly what I'm talking about. There's like, there's like Twitter scientists. Yeah. Yeah. Who, at any given moment, they're going to, they're going to, they're going to jump at anything that you say, like that you, mm -hmm. there's nothing that can, I can say at this point where <laughs> someone's not going to jump and say, well, they're going to try to call bullshit using a paper. Mm -hmm. And it's as if they're saying that it's as if they think I didn't read the paper. Like, so it, let's go back to what we we're talking about before. You have this thing where everyone's like, Oh man, all you do is read research and, and you never come out of your hole and, and you don't use the research to, to make thought processes, which hundred percent not true. Yeah. But then you have people who have never met me. Like I've, we've never, I've never taught you. I've never interacted with you, but it's the exact opposite thing. It, it's like, they think that I'm somehow just stealing people's ideas and, and, and putting it together in some guru type thing where I go and tell people to move or what. And that's, and that's, that's exactly not true either. And the problem is, is that, there's no way to explain that other than to have someone come and listen to me speak, yeah. which, which sounds shitty because then the answer is, well, no, you're, what you're saying, like, I'll give you an example. So pails and rails. So by now people know what pails and rails are, mm -hmm. but every time you put up something on pails and rails, there's going to be some fucking person on the internet. Who's like, what's the difference between that and and PNF? It's like, okay. So it could be an honest how question. Stupid. I would have to be okay. So what you're assuming is number one, I've never read anything on proprioceptive neuromuscular facilitation. Yeah. Okay. Dude, I've read everything on proprio. You know, this, 
you would have to think that I didn't read on stretching physiology and what stretching is and what stretching does and the idea of reciprocal inhibition. Like people think that I didn't read Sherrington's work uh, on reciprocal inhibition. And by the way, Sherrington, as a, as a researcher in general, I, I advise everyone to look into his history because mm -hmm. he's a researcher who should be admired way more than he is. But getting yeah, back to yeah. me never reading any literature, the assumption is that like, I'm just stealing something and do it. Like, clearly, if you do any type of stretch with any type of isometric training and you put a video to it, it's going to look like anyone else doing the exact same thing. But it gets back to the point. The, 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 what you're doing has nothing to do with the, what you're doing right now. It's the thought process mm -hmm. that went into why you're doing it. Yeah. You know, I've never said I've reinvented the wheel. Sure, I've taken all, you know, research in human physiology and I've tried to compile it into a workable model that is backed by evidence where possible. And yeah. where not possible, at least I'm filling it in with base, basic physiology or neurological yeah. evidence because that's what you do. You have to fill in gaps where gaps are. The, the difference between a guru and a scholar is substance. Absolutely. I think. And, you know, for guru is a funny word because, uh, you know, it, it's used in a derogatory manner to some degree. But I think a lot of that comes from people's own insecurity. Like, well, I didn't figure this out. So you're just a guru trying to steal my money or whatever. And I know you get that a fair amount. But what they don't see, like from you know as someone who's known you for a long time 20 years now um you you this is this is not a something you just came up with one morning right yeah yeah, yeah. like i have an idea i just i sit yeah. there like this and i just do this and i, I laugh like a, like a villain i can't do it yeah and you know that you as, as you as you know and i i get this i'm very aware of this like i do a lot of speaking at conferences and in my own seminars just like you do I learn something every time I speak and every time you amalgamate information. And if you want to call that stealing, then fine, I guess. I don't know. Like information is information. Research is research. How an individual puts it together is kind of up to them. And if that makes you insecure enough to use guru in a, in a derogatory sense, then that's on the individual, not on you. Mm -hmm. um, but I learn something every time I speak. And part of, part of what I enjoy about that is figuring out, how a room full of, you know, 75, 100 of my colleagues are interacting with what I'm saying and if they're understanding it and if they are, are intellectually challenged a little bit. And, you know, there aren't many. Brilliant. Well, yeah, like part of your job is to stimulate the audience you're speaking to. And speaking is a whole thing. Like that's a challenge in the research world now too. They're trying in our profession to groom younger researchers to also be better speakers because if you can't get your point across at a conference or on a on something like this then then you're you lose part of your utility as a knowledge generator and i think that's not everyone's good at speaking and you know that but yeah. it, it's something that we have to develop in our younger researchers it's part of your job to be able to speak and if you're not good at it that's okay too but let's realize that about you early and then let someone else talk about your research or partner with someone who is a better speaker. And you know, the teaching in and of itself is part of your process of putting everything together and coming up with new things. And it's also part of mine. Like every time you talk about a body of knowledge for a full day, the speaker is going to learn hopefully as much as the 
people sitting in the room do. That's the way I look at it anyway. 100%. And, and the other thing is that there has to be some, see, the, the other thing is that when, when someone does put themselves out there in front of a room of people to speak, I, I don't automatically, I don't automatically give them credit for what they're saying. I give them credit for saying it though. Mm -hmm. Like it, it's not, it, it, people might think that you just go in there and you just, and I just, I just spew my stuff or you just go in there and you spew your stuff, but you're spewing your stuff to, you know, a room full of brains who have accumulated their own knowledge. Right. Mm -hmm. And not only have they accumulated their own knowledge, but speaking of what we spoke about before, it's impossible to keep up with all the research. You, you hope that you're up to date with the research that directly affects what you do for sure. Mm -hmm. And then you have to cast this huge net, which makes it difficult to only be up. To, so there's always someone in the audience who just read a paper yesterday, right? They just read a paper yesterday. And in that paper, something disagrees with what you said, right? right? And there's people, and this is what I learned from seminars. There's people, you can almost see them right away. They, they're just waiting to put their hand up, right? They, there's, there's different people in a seminar. There's some people at a seminar taking selfies. They're the selfie <laughs> seminar goer. Right? I think you've okay. that more than I do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> then there's the, then there's the, the, the quiet consumer who yeah. taking a lot of notes. You know yeah. what I mean? You're taking a lot of notes. Then there's people who are, who give you too much status. Mm -hmm. you, you know what I'm saying? Like, well, they just I, believe they just believe anything you say when that's not my intent and it's not yours either. Absolutely. And I, and I go as far as saying that at the beginning. And then yeah. there's the people who are, are ready to pull the trigger on you. They're just, <laughs> their hand is like, and you can see they're like, they're, they're looking at your things and they're trying to pick out one thing that they can just, mm -hmm. that's wrong. Yeah. You know, that's wrong. And it's, and it's those people. And it's the people on, on Twitter who are, you know, we talked about this yesterday, the other day, we were talking about soft tissue, right? And how soft tissue is a topic where if you're making hard and fast conclusions about it, I'm going to say, it, I don't think you really understand what research is trying to do for you. Yeah, I agree with that. But there's a million people that as soon as you say, you know, I did soft tissue on my client in any way, yeah, they're going to run at you and just, they're, they're on Twitter. They're ready to press enter. These are people who follow us, but funny enough, I don't follow them. And I, I never, you know what I mean? Like, but it's, it's you don't like, follow anybody. Well, like, listen, I follow you. Like, you know what oh, I mean? Like, I, I, if you give me a logical, I always tell people, give me a logical scientific reasoning as to what you think, what you think, and yeah. then we can disagree. Right. You can't pull shit from the air though. You can't just make shit up. Give me some, like, right. I base my thought process on this. And then I look at your thought process and I say to myself, are you contradicting any of the laws of human physiology? Yeah. If you're contradicting the laws of human physiology, I immediately put you in a, in a different, you know what I mean? Like you're, you're I'll listen, but uh, yeah. I'm not really going to pay attention. Yeah. Because if you kick me out of human physiology, we're done. Right. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, this idea of the, of the trigger puller at a seminar, um, comes directly from a social media world where it's like this, this cult, this gotcha culture of everyone's trying to take someone who has a bit of status and that people listen to and try and knock them down. It's the way people try and make themselves feel good. And I, I'm not necessarily against that idea as long as you do it from an informed, rational, respectful way. And I put at the beginning of all of my seminars, like 
some disclaimers. And it's kind of a joke. Like, I don't want to start with disclaimers, but what we talk about today is as current as I can possibly make it. And it may change. And, you know, some of the things we talk about today could change next month. And the final one that I put on is to our point about, you know, amalgamating all knowledge and research is it just says, I may have missed something. Hmm. And, you know, you imagine that one line. Yeah. Well, it's true. Um, What I always put as a, as a footnote to that is I don't think I've missed anything that would radically change what we're going to talk about today. But, you know, new things are coming out all the time. And I don't think our worlds differ in a sense that our consumers don't consume as much knowledge as we do. And that's not a, you know, that's just part of our job is to do this for people. But I also expect people to come into my events with an open mind, but with some questions and not necessarily, like you said, to overtly just purely believe everything I say because I'm Sean Thistle. That doesn't make any sense to me. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't go into any s- speech or talk like that. Like I'm open to listening to anyone, but I, you know, you have to be, you have to have your wits about you in that sense. And the trigger pullers are, I don't know. I don't know how, what to think about them. What do you think? Like everyone, everyone in a way, everyone in, in chiropractic, let's say, because that's the world I'm familiar with chiropractors are on stage all day long with their patients and they are the teacher, right? But that's, then they come, that's their job. That's their job. And then, anything else. Yeah. And then they come to an event and some of them, I, I'm not sure I would call it trigger pulling. I call it like they're storytellers. They want to come up to me on a break and tell me a story about their practice to make them feel validated that they understand what I'm talking about or whatever. And I don't think that's nefarious. That's just because they're used to being the storyteller and it's hard for them to sit for a whole day and not have their input. And that's fine. Um, sometimes I just have to go for a pee on a coffee break in an eight hour seminar, but you know, you get yeah, this, yeah, yeah. people are coming up to you. And I'm like, I, I just have to pee. <laughs> Can I go for it? This is not a, this is not a, yeah, not a, it's not, not a, not a knock on you. I've well, had some people follow me to the washroom too. Yeah. I've had that too. The, yeah. the urinal conversation. Like, <laughs> yeah. Which is, I'm fine with it. It's, it's perfectly fine. But. Yeah. It's, it, I actually consider it all a compliment. I, I, find it, I find it humbling that someone wants to spend their money to spend a day listening to me talk. I think that's pretty cool. I think it's miraculous. I, yeah. I mean, I, I'm amazed every single time. And you know what? Speaking to what you were saying, I do the exact same disclaimer. I don't do it as yeah. a disclaimer. I, I apologize for what I know might bother people at the beginning which is kind of the same thing and one of my apologies is all right guys so i'm drawing from the same knowledge pool that you guys are right so it's not like when someone's like there's nothing new under the sun they yell it at me like they're insulting me but i'm i tell people that at the very beginning I, i say to it like if anything i'm saying sounds out of the ordinary then it's probably because i'm bullshitting you right like when someone comes out of a seminar they're like Oh my God, I have never heard of any of that information. Yeah. Uh, 99.999 times out of 10, that person was full of shit because it's not like <laughs> you have access to information I don't have access to, right? So yeah. at the very beginning, I go, this is an interpretation of the literature, which is all you can teach, right? Like, yeah. see, this is the thing. No matter what you're doing, no matter how research staunch you think you are, you're only giving the interpretation of the research as it's passed through your consciousness. Like 
There's no way mm -hmm. to not add interpretation to research, especially in our field, let's say manual therapy, physical training, sure. because we're not doing drug studies. It's no. not like we can say A or B, fucker, like which one is it? Oh. It's not like that. So I always say, this is my interpretation. If your interpretation differs than my interpretation, it's possible that we're both right from an evidence standpoint, but you got to give me some kind of scientific rationale as to why you think your interpretation is better than mine. Mm -hmm. And then we have a discussion that we can disagree or agree on. Yeah. You know what I mean? But nobody out there is, is right because that's not what science is. Well, one of, you know, one of the other things I add at the beginning of all my seminars is that, you know, in a room, I'll have everything from a new grad to someone who's been in practice for 60 years. And those are two, two different docs in, in a lot of ways mm -hmm. that come into a, a topic with um, different sets and types of biases. And, it, and it's really, people get their, it makes them feel funny when you, when you tell them that everyone has their own set of biases that they come into anything with, myself included. But I, I'm going to ask you today to allow me to push on those a little bit mm -hmm. and figure out where they are and, we'll, and we can talk about it. And it's, if you get people in that mindset before you talk to them, it can get that defensiveness down a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I used to sort of go into these, I guess I can admit this, I used to be upset with my colleagues who, who, were, who were pretty far behind in the literature. And I'm like, well, how can this happen to you? Like, you graduated 25 years ago and you basically haven't read shit since then. How could you do this? But you know, they've got three kids They're They've had a practice. Their practice is pretty good. They're probably good with their patients. And I, I understand how it can happen because keeping up on stuff is hard and it's a lot of work. And I guess in a way that's why they're at my event because they expect me to sort of give it to them in that sense. And I think that's, you know, I've, I've really softened on that. And now I approach every seminar. Like if I see someone struggling with some concepts or some newer things, my job is to pull them along with the rest of us instead of think poorly or, you know, think, you know, in a bad way about how I, they've done how things. You, how are you not up to date? Well, yeah, I mean, that's just... And most people feel guilty about not being as up to date as they should. They had, you know, and I get a certain um, faction of our profession at my seminars. I'm preaching to the choir to some degree, mm -hmm. but even if I ask a group of people at my seminar, like how many of you read abstracts, like more than one abstract a week, it's less than half the room. And then I say, how many of you read a whole paper a month goes down again. There's only like one or two people in the room that read full papers. Mm -hmm. So it's hard to, it, then, then we can't possibly expect them to have the same perspective on things that, that I do or someone else in my position who's trying to amalgamate all this stuff. So your job then is to help pull them forward and, and help, you know, give them something to take back to their office on Monday. Because at the end of the day, people come to us to get things to do with their patients. At the end of the day, everyone has to go and see clients or patients on Monday morning and have something to do that makes sense to them and makes sense scientifically and is hopefully going to help people. And that's what we're, that's what you and I are for. It's that's not what about, I, that's what we're know. trying to do. But I, I, we were speaking before there are, there's a subset of the population where if you come out of a talk, the talk, you're going to come out saying, Oh, so nothing works. We can't do anything. Everything is horrible. The yeah. world is just, 
And I, I just, I, I just don't understand. Like you were asking me, can I explain that? I, I can't because you know, you know what seminar, what people I'm talking about or who I'm talking about. And those people have to also see patients, right? So again, you can always sit on the ready on Twitter and say, that's not right. That's not right. That's not right. That's not right. You, it's easy to say that's not right. Like yeah. with all the literature you consume, with all the literature I consume, it's, it's not a hard task to sit back and go, no, you didn't, you didn't read this. No, you didn't read that. No, because like what you said, not everyone is, their job is to consume, right? Mm -hmm. It's easy to nitpick at what people don't know. What I find fascinating <clears throat> is how to take what we do know. And like you say, compile it in a story yeah. such that someone who doesn't know understands the story in a way that they can then apply evidence-based con uh, concepts just because they're running it through the system on which the system was based on evidence-based concepts. Right. So, right. I mean, that's, that's how I look at helping my client, right? Like you're in the, 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 the business of informing of what's out there and hopefully that information helps them Monday. I'm in the business of, of giving people a, a thought process, a way to yeah. just attack this in such a way that you can, you can kind of narrow down what it is you need to do because there's another seminar goer that we never talked about, which is the endless consumer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's just as dangerous <laughs> as someone who took one seminar and just ran with it. Does that make yeah. sense? I know. There's it's some, it's a happy medium of consumption is the best that you can. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's like that. It's the idea that the older I get and the more I read, you kind of come to the realization that we don't really know as much as we think we know, but it's okay if, if you approach it in the right way, but uh, it's kind of analysis paralysis. If you go too far into it, if you go to, if you go to every technique or everything available, you're going to end up confused. If that makes sense. I, I run into, I run into it all the time because you, you know that what, you know, I'm trying to teach things based on the, the laws, the laws that, as close to laws as you can get with research. I try to sure. base everything on those laws of physiology, yeah. right? Like, yeah. so at any time, if somebody goes, I disagree, you go, okay, I go, okay. Am I breaking the laws of human physiology? Like that to me is the, the, the lowest degree, right? Mm -hmm. like, that's your bar. That's my bar, right? But yeah. so yeah. people will, you know, I'll say, okay, let's look at this person. Uh, and I go, move your shoulder around. Like just, you know, do things with your shoulder to show me how much of a shoulder you have. You know what I mean? Let's just say that. So someone moves the shoulder around and in the room, there's like 70, 17 different with thousand different ways to go and different <laughs> ways to analyze it. This, you know, it, this, this muscle initiated the movement. And I'm like, you saw that with your eyes. Okay. So, okay, so there's a, there's a subset of research that you don't know. Like if you think that you saw someone move and you saw a bump, swell faster than another bump and that allows you to say that you see the motor pattern occurring yeah it's like okay so i'm not you <laughs> there's a there's like if the pie is everything you need to know there's like just shy of half of it that you have to review because that can't be the case right like yeah yeah you know that and i know that like i look at that person and i go okay do they have a shoulder like Let's stop everything because there's one person says that's so another person goes, Oh, well, when they move their shoulder, their left knee rotated. And then they give us a kinetic chain, you know, 
Sure. You know, I can go through the human body of the anatomy. Every I can get you from here to your toe. Sure. But that doesn't mean anything. It just means that I can spew a lot of anatomy, right? Like. Well, it means you know, it's a, it means something theoretical, but it may not mean anything to the person in front of you. That's the challenge with. That's what like, I'm saying. To, to me, one of the things that you and your team and your systems have figured out better than anybody is all of this, all of it has to be individual. Mm -hmm. It has to be. Even when you look, that's why movement screening mm. doesn't predict shit. Mm -hmm. But it, it doesn't mean we shouldn't do it. it. It just means that if you take it on a population level, a 30,000 foot level, it doesn't really tell us much. But if you drill down to one person in front of you, watching them do a step over lunge or whatever can give you some useful information mm -hmm. as in the context of everything else. I think that's what people miss. Everyone's looking for, we talked about this the other day, like everyone's looking for the algorithm that goes from A to B to C to the answer, but there's context at every step there. And I, I think that's what people miss uh, when they're looking for simplicity and those things like doing what, what you do at the end of the day, is a personal thing that you have to develop over time based on solid concepts, but you have to apply everything individually. And that's boil, you know, it steps back to one of the fundamental weaknesses of research these days is humans are not homogenous. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned drug trials. Like I, I admit, and I've written about before how manual therapy trials are at a disadvantage to drug trials. But what I, what I haven't talked about and what I think is also relevant and salient is that, Drug trials aren't perfect either. You can standardize a dose of a drug, mm -hmm. but do they ever do a dose based on size? You and I are different sizes, right? Have like, you read, have you read um, Scale by Jeffrey West? No. Okay, I'm gonna, it's physicist. You're gonna love okay. this book because it's exactly a lot of, the, it's exactly what, what, what he talks about with regards to scaling things. You can't, it's very difficult to scale things up and scale things down because it breaks apart at some point. Sure. But imagine, imagine the, the drug trial that did a dose based on body weight or some other physiological measure or metric that they came up with, they would, they would be laughed at scientifically. But to me, that makes more sense. I probably need more, more Advil to have an effect than my wife does. Yes. Just because conscious. I'm like double the size of her. So you need more shots to have a good time. It's just, it's just physiology. Yeah, you, know? Like, you know what I mean? But that's, but, but you know, to the, to this idea that drug research should be our gold standard, I'm not sure that works either because they never do that. I've only seen a couple of drug trials ever that have standardized a dose based on body weight. To me, that makes the most sense. That's pretty scary, actually. I mean, even body weight's not perfect because the physiology might be different anyway. Their, their metabolism or whatever. Mm -hmm. But to, to, to do a 50 milligram dose and give it to a 300 pound guy and then a 120 pound woman and call that the same thing doesn't make any sense to me. It never Clearly. happens. Clearly. Yeah. Clearly. But that's, that's the standard of science. Yeah, there's more stuff. There's more stuff dealing with the stuff you're giving them. Yeah. <laughs> Either there's more stuff or there's less stuff. Right? I know. We've, we've just boiled it all down to stuff. It's all boiled down. Good night, everybody. We'll see you later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> there's spaces, and then there's stuff on the spaces. Use yeah. stuff to maintain the spaces. Thank you. Good night. And don't forget the meat. We'll see you later. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, let's, not, let's get to the meat versus nerve. Okay, you want to talk about the meat versus nerve problem? This Are we is ready for this? Oh, 
Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preface this again. Whoever out there is listening to this and... and oh, hi, mom. Yeah. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> we, we read stuff too. Like, let's just... Let's just so whatever you read, uh, before you assume that we haven't read it, we read it. Okay, so let's just get that out of the way. Like, don't, don't come at me with, well, clearly you didn't read this study because you know what? Yeah, I did. I, I'm not, you know, come on now. But the meat, the meat versus the nerves. Okay, so I, another thing that, that you get or I get a lot of is I, I'm just, I, I deal with the meat wagon only. Okay, so I only care about the meat. The, the yeah. muscles and what I don't care. I don't talk about the nervous system at all. Everyone's talking about the nervous system. Some people just don't realize it. Exactly. You Ridiculous. know, what I mean? so, like it's like the so Daniel Wolpart. He said that the only reason why human beings have brains is to create complex adaptable movements. Yes. And, and, I, and it's, it's very hard not to argue that because the, you know, movements, the only way, and he says this as well, that you, can manipulate your external environments other than sweating. Those are the only two things we got, right? Mm -hmm. So what was my point with that now? So what I, I would add- I got riled up, go ahead, I, yeah. I've seen, I've, I've seen you say that in some of the lectures I've watched mm -hmm. and I don't disagree with it, but I think it needs a bit of expansion. Mm -hmm. And I, I, um, I think Sam Harris would add this too, like, yeah. Its job is to create motion for all those reasons that you said, but it also somehow layers a consciousness and an awareness on that that no one understands completely. Would you, would you agree with that? Like there's another layer there okay. that, that can change everything yeah. and we just don't fully understand it yet. Okay, if we're, if we're talking about the, the idea, okay, man, we've got a different thing. If we're talking about the idea of consciousness, I think, that if you were to take all the research and amalgamate it, you would have to conclude that the vast majority of researchers in the field uh, see it as some uh, secondary process that emerges, uh, not necessarily because it had to, but just because it, it's there, right? Mm -hmm. So to say that consciousness was needed as an evolutionary tool I don't know that that's a hundred percent viable that we can say that. However, no necessary and present are two different things. Exactly. Because in yeah, the evolutionary yeah. scale, like just because something evolved, it doesn't mean it did it to get better. Oh my God, does this unlock a can of worms? Human yeah. posture. I've said this a billion times. <laughs> the fact that we're standing on two feet is the problem. Like, <laughs> That's the problem. Like to say that bipedalism was somehow we were go advancing towards something better is, is to say that leopards have more low back pain than we do. Like they do not. So we know they, that? I, 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 oh yeah, I'm pretty sure. Well, I'm pretty sure that we can assume, but the reason we're standing is not because it was somehow better for us. So the reason we're standing is so that we free up our arms yeah. so that we can throw projectiles so we can view our horizon right mm -hmm. so, so you know that it's not because oh I, you know we have to fix this low back pain problem because if you look at yeah. the the evolutionary record you know degenerative arthritis in the hips and the spine like if you look at the the fossil record that like bipedalism kind of brought that and yeah. then civilization skyrocketed yeah yeah so the idea when somebody looks at someone's posture and goes oh that's not right and then i go what what, what do you mean that's not like how can you tell me that his posture is not right 
Mm-hmm. You know a lot about research. Can you define what we know about maintaining static postures? In terms of what? In terms I just of what be okay. Let's let's let me not preface the question. Let me just ask you about posture. Is there a perfect okay. posture? No. Okay. Perfect posture for what? For okay. sitting for, or for whatever? For, for sitting. For no. human sitting. No. The, per, the best posture is a, an adaptable changing posture. Okay. So now, everyone listening, it's not Guru Dre who never reads no. research apparently. I'm, I'm talking to Sean, the science guy. You're like <laughs> Bill Nye for, for, like, for like manual therapy. I should have worn my white jacket. I, I didn't make that up, right? I didn't make that no, up. If you look no. at the research, it would say that the best posture is a moving posture because movement is the predictor of health in articulations. Correct. Okay, so when someone says that you're, you have anterior head carriage mm-hmm. and that sets off a cascade of problems that they think they have to fix, can you speak to that? Um, I think what, all we know about something like forward head carriage, for example, this is funny because in some people, some individuals, that might be part of their clinical scenario, right? That might be one of the reasons that their neck hurts, for example, or the reason that they get headaches of whatever variety you want to give them. But if you back up again to a population level, the correlation gets weaker and weaker and weaker because humans are more and more and more variable and there's other shit that happens to them. So there's some data now correlating the amount of sitting that people do with their prevalence of back pain or neck pain or headaches and and that sort of stuff. But those conditions are really prevalent anyway. And a lot of people in the developed world just happen to sit anyway. So is it a cause or is it an effect or is it, what is it? And so, I don't know this whole, that whole world. And you know, it gets you into the the land of ergonomics and how you set up your desk and what's ideal and what it's a lot of it doesn't matter so much (laughs) because Mm -hmm. as long as someone moves enough, you can kind of sit however you want, as long as you don't sit like that for too long. To me, that's still the best scientific answer. And if, you know, stand up and move around once in a while, and then you're, you know, we, we've never even fully quantified um, accumulative tissue stress from sitting a certain way. There's a bit of evidence there, but it's not fully consistent either. So, and then that's when a trigger puller will say, well, what about this study? But like back up and look at everything. There's nothing really consistent there because if you take a group of 50 people, uh, males, females between the ages of 20 and 60, like an average study, let's say, or 18 to 60, some of those people might be able to tolerate sitting for whatever reason better than some other people. And then that study will come out and say that on average, sitting increases your risk of back pain by X percent. But what does that really tell us about anything? Because you have such a variety of human beings there, all of which have different tolerances and backgrounds and physical condition and comorbidities and psychological states and sleep and dehydration and blah, 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 blah. But what can that really tell us about anything? So, you know, the, this idea that posture in some way is the driver of all things that ail human beings, it's never made any sense to me. And I don't think it stands up to, to population-wide studies at all. But having said that, it can certainly matter to an individual in your office on Monday for that particular person. That could be one of their main drivers, but you can't just broad brush a statement like that. This is a fun game because that's exactly what I, what I say. That's 
to yeah. everything I've ever said about posture. So let's keep playing this game. Yeah. So I want to circle back to leopards and back pain for one second. <laughs> don't go back to my jokes. No, I, because I just want to, I, I, you said that leopards don't get back pain. Yeah. And my, my suggestion is I probably, I agree with you. I think, yeah, I but, think. <laughs> but maybe leopards don't have the pain science people telling them that they should worry about their back more. And that's, I just wanted to throw that back at you. Oh my God. The, um, the, 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 okay. That's pain what, science. that's pain what, that, that's weaponizing science right there. Okay. Listen, <laughs> you think I didn't read that stuff too? Like whoever's listening, like, Oh my God. Like, come on, man. Come on. You know what I'm saying? Like, I just want to get out and talk to everyone and be like, come on guys. Like come I'm on. really trying, like I've read all of that and I have never said anything that counters anything that any pain science person has ever said. Oh, it's, it, it's like in the, you know, we talked about this the other day too. It's like in the last few years, because pain, you know, when we were in school, what were we taught about chronic pain? When I have classmates at my seminars where we're talking about pain, I ask them like what at CMCC in 2000 to 2004, what were we taught about chronic pain? All I can remember is that we were taught to look to see if they were faking. <laughs> That was the, that was the gold standard of practice. No, it was like, if they have pain longer than three months, they must be full of shit. Yeah. So ne like neuroplasticity and pain science wasn't really a thing until we got out of school. Mm -hmm. So, but, but lately both sides of this argument, the manual therapy side and the pain neuroscience side, it's like, you have to pick one. Mm -hmm. There's no possible way you can combine elements of both into an effective clinical encounter somehow without pissing off the trigger pullers on, on social media, because they exist a lot. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I, that just kind of bothers me. I don't, I don't think anyone has the final answer and there's good information on both sides, but that's sort I of, I don't even think you have to contradict either. Like, I don't even understand the contradiction. Like when I was talking about meat before, it's like, okay. So getting back to the Wolpert quote, oh, yeah. like if, if you're, if, if the brain is there to make complex adaptable movements. Okay. And let's, Let's just say that's true because you go back to consciousness, but if you stop to think about it, even the words that we construct, mm -hmm. those are movements. Like words are movements. Mm -hmm. Like you have to go, you have, if we have to go back even further, the word word, it means that my vocal cords contracted in such a way to angle such that when you blow air past them, it sounds like this. Word, word, <laughs> word, word. word. <laughs> But clearly we don't think in words, right? Because mm -hmm. it's like, my wife speaks French, uh, you know, Sarah, you know, Sarah, we're oh, all here. Remember? And, and, and sometimes I stop myself, I'm like, oh, what, what, what language are you thinking in right now? And then I stop and I'm like, what a stupid question. Cause we don't think in language. We think in movement and we think in space. If you read Barbara Tversky's new book, it, it, it puts this out beautifully, but we think in movement, we think in space. When I go to pick up my coffee cup, I don't look at it and say, Coffee cup, C-U-P, white, grab now, go. No, I just see the coffee cup. I analyze two factors. How much effort is it going to take for me to overcome gravity to get my coffee cup? Mm -hmm. And how far away is this coffee cup? Mm -hmm. like, that's it. So then I put some effort, grab the coffee cup and drink. So I didn't think in words. I thought in movement. So technically, if you go backwards, it all comes back to movement if you go back to it to that extent, right? Yeah, okay. Okay, but... What is the point of meat? 
So you have a nervous system. If I just plop the nervous system on a table, it's not going to move. No. Right? Okay. So the purpose of the meat then is to give the, the nervous system a tool with which to sense its environment. Mm -hmm. And based on the sensing, it can then produce plans as to how to move within the global environment. So yeah. the meat is what the nervous system is using mm -hmm. to figure shit out. Yes. And the meat also, the, you know, it's the, the communication is bi-directional there. Of course it is, because if you go from an evolutionary, uh, uh, from an embryological status, which we did back in school, it comes from the same embryological process. Like, you know, ectoderm, mesoderm, endoderm, like the, the nervous system grows meat, like mm -hmm. a chia pet doll. Like, like that's, <laughs> you know what I mean? That, that's what it does. So if the meat is dysfunctional, you can't say, just fix what the nervous system's doing. Just like if the nervous system's dysfunctional, it's going to affect the meat. Yeah. So there is no such thing as you only focus on the meat and you only focus on the nervous system. It's the same stuff. Like, yeah, the, this idea that they're, they're mutually exclusive somehow from a conceptual standpoint, it's kind of like, you know, the, the split between the idea that, well, I'm a brain based chiropractor or I'm a, I'm a mechanical based chiropractor. Like, like what? What the fuck is everyone talking about? I, I don't. I don't understand. I, except depending on which seminar they've been to and how they've been sort of trained to frame it in their own mind. Mm -hmm. But again, that's a that's a function of not backing up far enough. Yes. Totality of things and say, oh, we're all talking about the same thing, <laughs> right? <laughs> we're, we yeah, are like you know, we are trying to put some input into the body, be it the meat the nerves that go back and forth with the meat, the joints that control or help uh, allow the meat to move properly via the nervous system. Like there isn't anything else there. You, you can't go into a treatment with your hands and say, this adjustment is only going to affect the nervous system. What? You want, yeah, well, think of, okay, I'll go one further. <laughs> Fascial stretching. What? Like, I, I'm not trying Just to be nothing this, else. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, I'm not saying that a technique doesn't work. People no. jump on me saying that I'm attacked. I'm not, I just want to talk about concepts. Yeah, yeah. When you stretch anything in any direction, the idea that you can preferentially stretch some of the meat and not other piece parts of the meat yeah. is beyond irrational. Like, so yeah. when I do this, are you saying my, my, my skin's not stretching? Like the yeah. nerves aren't stretching? The yeah. muscles have nothing to do with this. Your blood vessels. All blood vessels don't stretch. Like, yeah. and the, the idea, soft tissue people, they'll take a, you know, they'll take a surface and they, what are you doing now? I'm doing fascial release. What are you doing now? I'm doing muscle release. What are you doing <laughs> now? I'm doing cutaneous release. It's like, guys, There's you, have, you have these objects that, that, hit into this barrier and then when you put forces in the only language that can be transmitted is force yeah am i wrong on that no it, i don't think so i, I think i think besides all, hormones i guess but well i think all these all the types of soft tissue input whether you want to use a tool or your hands or whatever i don't know if 
maybe this makes people mad, but I've, I, I don't, I think patients in and of themselves in their little consciousness have a preference for which type of soft tissue thing is done to them. Some people want something really hard and like get in there and beat the shit out of it. And, and they want to feel some pain when they do it. And maybe that's what their body responds to. But there are also techniques that the, the like dermal traction stuff where you just take the skin, you find where, which way it doesn't want to move and then try and help it move that way, whether you stretch it or massage it or roll it or like, by the way, interlayer release, been, that's part of it. Yeah, right. Yeah. But it's right intervention at the right person at the right time. And sometimes people's bodies need different interventions in different places. Like what a concept. 100%. And like the, this is, and, and I think the adaptability of the thought process is something that you guys have done beautifully. Like you have to find, you have to meet the person where they are, figure out what kind of tissue they have, where the problem is to the best of your ability and feel out which direction or which movement you want to facilitate and get at it. Like, and test and assess and that's it. And then once you get at it, I'll add another thing, which, which I've been, I've been spewing for the, my whole career. If you're not going to follow up that passive force input, with some kind of direction yeah. as to how they should actively reinforce that input. You just wasted however long you had. Yeah. Like the, I, I have never taken a person and rubbed them and said, I accomplished anything in and of itself. Okay. Mm -hmm. Other than temporary pain reduction. Yeah. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. Just I have, I, yeah, I perfectly. I, again, I want to commend you for that too. I'm yeah. all good. I'm all good with rubbing. I'm all good with back padding. I'm sure. all good with that. But I'm, but I'm to my, in my brain though, if you want to change a tissue, it's just not the same thing. Like, yeah. is it, do you want to rub to make them feel better? That's fine. Do you want to put directional force in such a way that it might help lead them to more loading actively in that direction to yeah. influence the cells to restructure themselves over time? Yeah. Well, then there's, a lot of research to dictate how to do that best or to at least have the, the, the at least theoretically how to get that done the quickest. Yeah. Right. And then it, it's a matter of, okay, so what's the job of a therapist? And that's another question because I happen to think that pain is a secondary byproduct or re reduction. I don't know how to, how to put this of therapy. In other words, Therapy can influence pain, clearly. Touch can influence pain. Sure. You know, hugs can influence pain. Right. So clearly, we can influence pain. Soft but, music can influence pain, too. But I don't know that that's our job, per se. I, I feel mm -hmm. like it, it has, it's been made our job. But I feel like if we can steer people's mentality as to, okay, pain is there, but if you make people if you teach them how to get in their environment and manipulate their environment in, in, you know, and maintain their joint, the health of their joints. And there's so many things to work on mm -hmm. where when you work on them, pain gets better. But to yeah. say that only working on those things is going to cure pain is equally as stupid. Yeah. Well, the, the idea that, I mean, to back up to like practice patterns in our profession, for example, pain is why most people show up, 100%. right? Yeah. 
you know, I think, I think chiropractors and, and physios and all other kinds of professions have a lot to offer in terms of enhancing human function. But my, how many people ever came, well, people come to you for this, but the average chiropractor in Guelph doesn't have people coming in their door saying, I want to function better. God, I wish they did though. I know. Wouldn't that be great? But, but they don't. You remember school? Yeah. You remember school? We sat there for four years, right? Listening to what were we told we do? Yeah. Well, we improve function or whatever, but. Actually, no, I, I remember it. I remember it. They, they would say that, but then really all it's of pain. the measures they cared about. Sure. Like think of our, our clinic year. It's what pain else? reduction. They wanted a, they wanted a pain scale. They, now then they, they, the only thing functional is when they gave you those forms, you know, mm -hmm. remember those like for a motor vehicle accident, there's yeah. all these like disability forms or whatever. Well, but, then, but then the function they're looking for is range of motion. Again, which if you go back into the literature and here's another thing that it drives <laughs> me crazy online, man, people think that I'm just making loose contortionists as if range of motion is a good outcome measure of anything. It's not really. It's not. It's not. A, and a, again, it never has whoever's, been. Whoever's, whoever's listening to this is going to be the people who know that we don't talk like this, but it's those other people who aren't going to listen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they're not going to get an hour into this. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. They gave up an hour ago. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. But I, I, we've got to go back to this game. I, we're all over the place, but I think we're coming up with some things that are useful, but let's go back to posture. Oh no. Yeah. Okay. okay. Because it's, it's one that really affects people, right? Yeah. This whole time, everyone's going to be, I've, I've been like this. I've been like this. I've been like this. I've had my leg up. What yeah. I fucking haven't been doing is this. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody does that. Yeah, because it's like, let's just break this down. So if you do this, in order to hold yourself like this, do you have to activate muscles? Mm -hmm. Yes. If you activate the same muscles for a prolonged period of time, do you decrease oxygen flow to the muscle? Yes. Yes. Okay. Well, if, in you, have a, in, yeah, if you have a decreased amount of, like, those muscles will asphyxiate, right? Mm -hmm. Like, just like, if you do a plank for more than, what was that? There was a study on that, was there not? Yeah, the blood flow, it was, um, oh, geez, that was a long time ago. It was like three minutes or something. Some, I forget what the number was, but the point of it was if you, if you hold it long enough, you're going to reach a hypoxic level that's probably not productive anymore. Which, again, whether or not the hypoxic level is reached in postural muscles that you're training by holding like this or other, that's the problem is that sure. – the muscle can only give you so much anyway. So sitting like this is just as bad as sitting like this. Yeah. And everybody's capacity is different there. Yeah. Like, okay. So yeah. getting back to the other question I was going to ask though is, can, what does the research in general say about our ability to change posture using strength training exercises? It depends. Yeah. <laughs> um, Ah, where do I, where would I start? First, you have to take into consideration how you measure uh, posture because part of the challenge in studying posture is if you do a study, for example, where you take people and measure their posture and then you put them in program A or program B with the patient knowing your posture is going to be measured at some later date. <clears throat> it's kind of like, it's not exactly like, but it's kind of like practitioners who take posture-based x-rays 
you can change how an x-ray looks from a posture perspective just by cueing the patient in a different way, right? 100%. So when you're like doing a- One degree on the positioning is what on the x-ray, three degrees? Something like that. And then never mind the error, but digital x-rays have, have not completely fixed the error problem, but the error is not as big as it used to be. But when you measure posture sequentially and the patient that you're dealing with knows you're measuring posture, they may change their test position, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't think we have a good answer on whether exercise can change posture. Okay. Do you, you think we have a good answer? Uh, no, I don't. I don't think we have a good answer, but I do think that if we start from that point and then try to come up with a, uh, an answer, using what we do know, I think that it's very easy to conclude that it's not as easy as you think. Yeah, yeah, that's okay, a good so, and, and the example that I, the, that I use at seminars is, you know, a 12-year-old dancer. A 12-year-old dancer walks around like, you know, they, they, they just have this, 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 you know, ideal posture. Mm-hmm. Now, the ideal posture problem, I always ask people, when you were birthed, did you come with a manual? Because I didn't have a fucking manual. I don't think so. I've asked my mom, like, nothing. So I don't know that I know how to stand. But let's just ideal posture. When you're in a thing like dance, you're literally scored on this sure. preconceived notion. So they have this posture like this, right? Yeah. But then you get like a rock climber. Let's say somebody, Dewey, you know Dewey, one mm -hmm. of my one of my main instructors, one of my good good friends, Dewey. So Dewey, you know, does rock climbing, right? So mm -hmm. his whole life is retract, pull, yeah, pull. Like that's to some extent, that's that's what you do, right? Yep. To tell me, and then if you ever watch Dewey stand, you know, just you know, just like <laughs> everyone else, you know what I mean? Like, like whatever, just normal. So right. the idea that somehow the 12 year old dancer has stronger rhomboids than Dewey. No, that's wrong. That's wrong. Right. So, yeah. so now I can't make a hundred percent. I mean, it might not be wrong, but it's as a broad brush statement, it's wrong. <laughs> I mean, I deal with professional bodybuilders that have their posture is hunched. Like, it, like yeah. their, their back muscles are stronger than that 12 year old dancer by any stronger. Yes. Yeah. You know, if we just put it in the force velocity curve and <laughs> just leave it at that, they're yeah. going to be stronger in every possible way. And, you know, the same thing, I, like when you work out your biceps for years, you don't walk around like this. No. You, you know what I mean? And then you can say, well, some bodybuilders, they're stiff, but some non-bodybuilders are stiff. Yeah. So well, it's this idea, like if you're, if you're, if you have like forward head posture, you need to somehow strengthen strengthen your rhomboids to hold you in a certain way that's always bothered me by the way by the way now someone's going to be like we're those stupid because you also have to stretch the front well yeah like okay okay sure so here's another question what does the literature say about stretching and changing the length of muscles much um it's not very successful partly because um there, the input variables in, in the studies that are out there are largely different and our ability to measure anything like that is not perfect, but in general, there's not a good answer there either. And the answer is probably no. You know what I mean? Your gracilis is as long as it needs to be to do the splits technically. 
Well, and if, yeah, yeah, it's just that your brain isn't going to let it do that. It's back to the brain and the meat. Like yeah. it, it all comes down to how your brain interprets and uses the meat and, and the feedback that the meat is giving to the brain. That's, we just simplified your whole system into that concept. No, it's kind of like yeah, it all the time. <laughs> well, I know like it's meat and it's, and it's not, it's, that's it. It's nervous system and meat. I mean, that's right. right. So okay, back to posture. Oh God, you love posture. I, I, I love posture. So <laughs> get back to the idea how hum, dynamic systems theory, mm -hmm. which is if you're in fourth year motor learning class at a university, that's where you are. Like, mm -hmm. okay. So the idea that to control a dynamic external system, let's call it your global workspace, that you need a static posture based on the dynamic systems theory as to how movements are created and learned. It, it literally, to, to believe that there is the right way to stand, in my opinion, is to, is to completely um, disregard the newest evidence on human movement. Mm -hmm. Because every, not, never mind just on human movement, if you look at physics, chaos theory, uh, everyone's going towards this, this concept that you're, 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 you're an adaptable environment working in an adaptable environment, right? Yes. You're a nonlinear entity. Like mm -hmm. you have to, there has to be adaptation strategies that are put in place, but you don't control those strategies. You can control your meat mm -hmm. and how your meat speaks to your nervous system. Mm -hmm. The other if, thing that, go ahead. If you expand this idea that there's a perfect way to stand, Mm -hmm. then there should also be a perfect way to throw. Yes? Which we do not find. Correct. Because if that were the case, every pitcher in MLB would throw the same way, but they don't. 100% not. The same way there's no perfect way to hit a baseball, there's no perfect way to dunk a basketball, there's no perfect way to... So, yeah, to me, to me the posture is like the lowest hanging fruit on that argument. Like if there was a perfect way to do anything, everyone would do everything the same and that's not how humans work. And yet there are four, you know, 200 people who have reached the level of being able to throw professionally and make millions of dollars and they all do it differently. Like, don't they? Do any two pitchers pitch the exact same way? We're going back to Bernstein in 1967, which is amazing yeah. because this is not like it's new. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And then that ties into this like movement assessment stuff. Like when we were in school, Kibler stuff was coming out about six scapula syndrome. And if the scapula moves this way, it's bad. And they're not. And yet, like if you measure professional pitchers, some of them have a six scapula syndrome. But if a guy's throwing 95 miles an hour, I'm not going to try and change his scapula. Am I? I have all my pro pitchers, the pro team that you find that all the time, which, which is like, and, and by the way, maybe that's the adaptation that allowed them to do that. Getting back to posture, the idea that you can train someone and then do static measurements of scapular position. With this, like the, the base argument of this is static measurement of anything doesn't mean shit to how we move. It doesn't. There's no logical conclusion other than that, which is another, no. Thing that I keep running into, but this is fun. Can we talk about another thing? No. <laughs> concept of imbalances because. Oh God. Okay, so now manual therapy. So there's, a, a, I, I would say that the large majority of manual therapy is dedicated towards finding 
this thing called imbalances. Mm -hmm. I don't know if there's a question in what I'm going to say, or if it's more of like a statement, but we talked about this. We've talked about this before. If you take a client and you, and you look at the client and you say, you know, do show me what you do with your right hip. Like mm -hmm. show me how you move your right hip, right? Mm -hmm. Show me how you move. It. I would use cars, but just generally show me what you can do. Sure. If you make a conclusion that, or if you ask the client based on how you move, what percentage of your right hip do you feel you have versus your left? Or you can ask them, if you can imagine a perfect hip, where do you think you are with your right hip? Like, let's just say that. So if somebody moves their hip and they go, well, with my right hip, I'm probably like 60% of, of that ideal concept. And with my left hip, oh my God, it hurts. It, I, have no, I can't move. It looks like I have 20%. So if you have one side that, that has 60% function and one side that has 20% function, and this is not, this is just subjective. So of course it's going to be, they're not accurate, but it's going to be accurate to an extent. Sure. Right? Isn't every exercise you perform then just consistently keeping the imbalance present? Potentially. Yeah. It depends on, so, so let's take that scenario and put it in someone who's exercising, doing whatever, four or five times a week. I think the answer to your, your concept there is yes, it is. It's just grooving that same pattern, depending on what type of exercise they're doing. Um, but if you take someone with asymmetry in their hip, whether it's joint play or motion or, or their ability to use it or however you want to frame that, and they're not doing any exercise, that's a, that's a different scenario. But it, they have to be exercising for that to matter. I get that. But um, okay. Okay. Like, symmetry is a hard thing to achieve, isn't it? I, I don't even know. Like, I mean, last time I looked, I only have one liver. Yeah. <laughs> you know I mean? So I don't, know how to, I don't know how to fix that for you. Luckily, I, I have two. I don't know how to balance that for you. I don't know. But the other thing is that this brings up a whole other can of worms, which I'm, I'm starting to speak of more recently with strength and conditioning is, if, if that client has 70% on one side and 30% on another, those are both internal variables, mm -hmm. but all strength and conditioning, and I'm not being an asshole here. I'm saying the, the vast majority of any strength and conditioning I've I run into really only concern themselves with external variables. And I'll give you an example. As soon as you put someone under a squat bar, there's going to be, 37 million personal trainers that have an opinion. Mm -hmm. That's true. That's what it looked like. But there's going to be very few of them that stop and say, yeah, but you brought a different body to the bar. Mm -hmm. Because we're evaluating what a squat is supposed to look like. Sure. But a squat is an invention, just like the word word is an invention. Right. Of human consciousness, which goes back to what we were saying before. Yeah. So if human consciousness tells you, I want you to squat, then what you're saying is I want you to replicate what I want you to replicate yes. with an external variable. You're essentially making it a movement screen based on your preconceived notion of what it should look like. And we've just been talking for the last half hour as there is no pre preconceived notion as to what it should look like because in theory, no, like, you know, um, there's, every safety, there's safety, of course, every time I say in theory, just Siri thinks I'm asking her for something. That's just technology. Can I ask you a question? Did you change her accent? No. Did you? Yeah. Why is the question? That's yeah, why haven't I changed it or why did you change it? 
equally as strange. <laughs> what accent did you pick? Australian. Ooh. Yeah. Hey man, I'm locked in my damn house. I know, right? Yeah, we're all going a bit batshit here. Siri's my, my best friend at this point. Where were we, Sean? Where were we? Somewhere between posture and leopards. <laughs> yeah, I don't even remember where we are. Let's just do a few more and then I'll let you go. All right, man. I'm going to say two words and then I want you to vomit whatever comes to your brain. Is this like a Rorschach test? Yes. Okay. Ready? Yes. Neutral spine. Uh, not terribly relevant to most people. Most of the time. <laughs> Glute inhibition. We don't understand it, what it is or why it matters or if it's even a thing. The glute. Oh, big, strong, important. Yeah. Um, like the meat or the, no, I'm kidding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's not get into that. The, the neutral spine thing, I get a lot of that as well. I got a lot. So I, I, it's, it's, it's a topic worth, worth just touching on. So when sure. I teach someone how to lift, it's not like I don't teach them what some resemblance of neutral is. Yeah. I don't put them out of posture and say, fuck your back up. Clearly, there's a way to, if you want to replicate your exercise, which is a deadlift, not mine, but you know what I'm saying? Like, if that's what you want to do, mm -hmm. there's a way to do it such that you don't, you know, cause injury just by doing it. Or there's a way to do it so that you can minimize the amount of injury you'll get just by doing it. I think minimizing is the better term there. Yeah. Yeah. Because deadlifting is going to cause damage. Like, I mean, this, I, I, I'm tired of not saying these words, like squatting with the bar on your spine it's not like it has no penalty. So let's all stop pretending like it's okay and everyone should be doing it at all times. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm with you. Okay, so um, you're with me, but I forgot where I was. Deadlift. Deadlift. Neutral spine. I'm gonna teach someone neutral, but I also understand, and maybe I misinterpreted the research, that even professional lifters can't maintain neutral. Not always, I mean, there's, Neutral spines this thing that it's sort of the concept threw people into this little box where that's all they cared about for a long time. When human movement and specifically athletic performance can't possibly always occur in that area. Um, okay, it never does to be honest or almost well, never. It probably doesn't. But it, I also think if someone well, how should I say this? I think neutral spine training should only be part of your training. It shouldn't be all of it. And I think that little box that we, that was created years ago, put people in this idea that that's the only way you should train your spine. I don't think that's right. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I, I mean, I guess we're, we can get, we can go backwards as far as to the controversy in our day was this Australian or Queensland yeah, yeah. versus McGill. Right. Uh, and the whole time I was like, why are we arguing about this? Like why, like one of them is clearly saying that the status of your inner meat is going to affect the status and function of your outer meat. Mm -hmm. And the other side is, is making it sound like the other side is just saying, all you need is your outer meat, which is to say mm -hmm. inner meat has no value. Yeah. That's how uh, I, I think. Yeah. They were both allowed to be partially right. And, um, you know, the paper that we reviewed last week was a summary of our, what we know about motor control and low back pain. And Paul Hodges from the Australian group was one of the authors. Uh, Greg Kochuk from the chiropractic world was on that paper too. 
And you know, the, the punchline from that article is we don't, the motor control changes in low back pain populations are not consistent. Mm-hmm. So back to what we said earlier, like for some people, I always looked at it this way and maybe I was wrong, but I, I, this held up clinically for me. If someone had back pain that had a motor control component, in my opinion, I would sort of see what they could do. Can you do a, do a gentle brace and activate something in your abdominal cavity? And if you can, and I can perceive that to the best of my ability to be your transverse abdominus, let's say, then can you, then I would progress them into McGill stuff without worrying too much about, I looked at it as a continuum. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Like the transverse abdominus basic, basic core bracing stuff was like kindergarten. And then McGill stuff was a little bit further down the road, but I think everyone just stopped there mm-hmm. instead of, and I don't think that was McGill's intent ever. He was just looking for, you know, and I know Ed Cambridge is one of uh, my friends and a uh, recent PhD student that finished his PhD with McGill, but they're, you know, they're looking at ways to minimize adverse stress on lumbar spines. And in some ways, neutral spine, however you want to achieve that is one of the methods to do that. Right. Um, but that doesn't cover, I think we all just assumed that the McGill big three covered everything you needed to cover in terms of human performance and athletics. And that's not right. I don't even think, I don't think that was their intent. I don't want to speak for them, but I don't think that was Stu's intent. I don't think so either. And I speak to this and I automatically say, if you guys think that I'm somehow insulting Dr. Stu, no, no, that shit crazy. Like give your respect where it's due. However, I always say that the interpretation of what people are saying is where people screw up. And then and with regards to the big three, like if I took a weight, let's call this pen of weights, mm-hmm. and I did this, and this is what the exercise was. Mm-hmm. Would anybody claim that this is a, an elbow exercise? Maybe. Okay. So, I, I mean, you can say that the elbow has to hold, t- you know, th- I can give you a, you know, kinetic chain. Yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. You, would, you would probably say that this, okay, what kind of, well, name this exercise. Shoulder. Lateral raise. Yeah. Shoulder exercise, right? So no one would say, oh man, that's an amazing elbow exercise. Yeah. However, the number one spinal exercise in the history of rehabilitation and spinal training is to go on all fours. Mm-hmm and try to not move your spine Mm -hmm. flex your shoulder and extend your hip. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying it's not a good exercise, but what I am saying is if you think that that is all you need to do to make a spine healthy, Mm -hmm. you're probably doing 7,000 exercises you don't need on other joints and you're not giving each one the same. Yeah. Like, you have to remember that those exercises were designed with the idea of maximizing muscle activity and minimizing compressive load. That was pretty much the variables they were dealing with there. And those exercises definitely do that. But as I said, I think that gets us to a point. Like does the average NHL hockey player have to do a cross crawl or a bird dog? Probably not. Right. (laughs) Unless they're hurt. Yeah. Like what, what do you, yeah. I mean, I don't know. Just saying. It's not that it's not a use. Like there, there are, there are no useless exercise. I shouldn't say that there probably are, but there, there are, there are exercises that are given to people who shouldn't be doing them, but there are also people who should be doing much more that aren't. 
So again, it's this, is it internal variables you're concerned about? Is it external variables are you concerned yeah. about? There's a neutral spine thing where don't move, hinge at your hips, always be in neutral spine. Every exercise is in neutral spine, walk in neutral spine, sit in neutral spine, pick things up in neutral spine. Yeah. And if you leave neutral spine, bad things will happen to you, which if all you, but you know, if all you did was train in neutral spine all the time, bad things are, I would argue, probably more likely to happen to you if you leave neutral spine because you're not ready for that or you're not adapted to that. Specificity. That's not even an argument. I don't think, I think you're a hundred right. And I can't, nobody can tell you you're wrong. And the other thing you have to answer with for me is how do you maintain the health of a human articulation? What's the, like, what's the movement? So if you're telling someone don't move, are we not trading acute low back pain for chronic dysfunction? Well, I think one of the unintended consequences of the stabilization phase in low back pain treatment was that it scared the shit out of people about moving around. Yes, 100%. And, and then wouldn't the pain neuroscience people jump all over that and say that's a nocebo effect and that's horrible and whatever. But yeah, I, I think that wasn't the intent of the researchers that were doing it. But I think that was one of the results of it is people got scared to move their backs. 100% agree. Uh, I know we're, we, we probably should end this eventually. We, yeah. can do, we can do this indefinitely, but I got to pull you in for one more. Okay. I was going to say your assistant sent me the calendar notice and it went till 11 p.m. tonight. So I. Oh, yeah. So you, so you just, just all you day. Just cleared the schedule. Just clear my day. Well, you know, after this, I got to. Uh... <laughs> yeah, I, got, I, I was wondering if we were going to bring Calvin and Adriano in for a bit of this. Have you heard, have you heard the, that my kids upstairs, like it sounds like a, it sounds no. like, yeah, they're, they're elephants upstairs. Like I think, I think Katie may have taken our boys way upstairs. So I don't oh. know. <laughs> uh, I got three going on. Yours are little and you can, you can put them in an area, concealed area. Sort of. And mine climb out when they're on this. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, okay. The last one I want to get at, because this one touches to what I say a lot. And if, if you're ever accused of being a, a shitty peddler, this is where I get it with, okay. with soft tissue. Okay. So, okay. I will do my best to confirm your biases. Go on. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> is there enough, in your opinion, mm-hmm. to disregard the utilization of therapeutic touch? The dis- like, as in we shouldn't touch people and... Let's just start at, let's just start from very, very broadly. Is there, should we at this point conclude that human touch has no effect on another person that you're touching? No, it should be the exact opposite. Okay. So, okay. So I just want to, I want to get there. Okay. So, okay. So Sorry, I didn't mean to, didn't mean to. No, 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 no. So touch has relevance. We're right? just, re- we're just rewarding the people that have lasted this long. <laughs> yeah, no, seriously. Touch has relevance scientifically. Okay. Of course. Is there, is there enough, based on what we know right now, is there enough research to say that soft tissue therapy should, be, should stop now and we're, we're just going down a rabbit hole, which ultimate will, ultimately will lead us to nowhere and there's no relevance of it at all anymore? No, that's incorrect. Mainly because it's never been studied well at all. Okay. So the absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. So no, oh. that's, that's, pre, that's premature. It, it's, in, it's immature scientifically. It's immature in every way. Because if you go back to you know, Einstein, the theory of relativity came from thought experiments. So if you can answer me this question, does thought 
precede research. Yes. Is that a hundred percent true, Doctor Thistle? Most of the time, I, like nothing's a hundred percent true. But I would, you have to think about something before you can put it into a scientific model. Okay. Like so, science is a model of thinking, right? Yeah. Agreed. Just like a religion is a model of thinking, science is kind of like a religion, just with more publications. I get. I would agree with that as well. So, with regards to soft tissue work, um, how do you approach? doing versus non-doing because there is a subset of there's there there are internet scientists out there who are influencing young therapists into believing mm -hmm. that all you need to do is tell people they're going to be fine and kind of pat them on the head and you know mm -hmm. don't do things that hurt take it easy mm -hmm. so so this <laughs> so this issue is tough mm -hmm. Because it's, I, I, I tend to default to the right patient, giving the right patient the right intervention at the right time. The trouble is they don't come in with an instruction manual, just like kids aren't born with one. Mm -hmm. I think the exact nature and type of soft tissue therapy in a lot of patients is not as important as the fact that someone is paying attention to them and mm -hmm. trying to palpate them properly and locate areas that are sensitive and you know, the, the flip side of it is what is the soft tissue work actually doing? I don't think we have a good answer to that, but I, I don't think we can throw everything away just because we don't have that, that answer. Because okay. if it wasn't helpful for people, people would have stopped doing it long before you and I got to school, wouldn't they? I don't know. You go back, I, to, it's, go back to religion because... Well, this is, yeah, maybe. That's the problem. But, but my... my, my uh, Thing with, with that is is that that there's nothing unscientific of what you just said there's nothing thanks yeah there's nothing that i would i would disagree and now we have to move forward from this point so to move forward from this point it, it goes back to the meat argument in mm -hmm. my opinion is like the meat is influenced by force can we agree yes okay there are there's types of force there's internally derived force and then there's externally inputted force. Yep. I think we're both clear that internally derived force can change the ongoing structure of soft tissue. Yes. Because I mean, if I do this long enough, this is more of this. Like, it, okay, so the question then becomes is whether or not the force application externally makes the difference. Yeah. Right? And, and I've never said it did make the difference. I've always said it's just one type of force loading that kind of specifically puts force in, a, in, a, in one area versus sure. just doing this, this, the force dissipates. Sure. And, you know, the, the, neither of those ideas has been adequately studied individually, never mind putting it together. I totally agree. So, so my, we don't know. Like, so my, but, my conclusion is... I'm always going to give inter ex internal forces to back up external forces. Mm -hmm. External forces, even if you go back to the therapeutic effects of touch, just from a psychological perspective, I'm still, I think I'm justified as long as I'm not getting them addicted to the treatment, which I think everyone can agree. Yeah. I'm, not trying to, I'm not trying to make you want me to rub you. Right. Yeah, but you know, the propensity of someone to become addicted to it is, is an individual factor, but it's also governed by how, how the clinician presents it and does it and whatever. 
but, but we're, what I'm saying is we can agree. I think we agree with where everyone else finds problems. We can, I can say that I agree with the same problems. Like sure. Training none, is what changes you. None of, none of this is perfect. None like using, using patient education and pain neuroscience as a single intervention is probably no better than using spinal manipulation as a single intervention. It'll have a moderate effect on a moderate amount of people. Mm -hmm. Okay. Here's the, here's, if we want to make this relevant to this COVID situation, you and I are sitting in, in our houses because we were going to do this in person, but we can't right now. Everyone is suddenly an expert on telehealth. Have you seen this? Virtual appointments. Oh, wow. Yeah. I've, yeah, I've noticed this. And you and I aren't, don't rely on practice for, for what we do anymore. So I, I'm, I understand why people are doing this. But what's going to come from this is there's going to be a bit of evidence emerging about how effective doing a treatment is like you and I are doing this conversation right now. Brilliant. Yep. What if, what if telehealth appointments, and there is some evidence already, there was a paper that was, I just saw on Twitter this morning that looked at the, the uh, diagnostic accuracy of a patient doing a self-examination for femoral acetabular impingement, a battery of tests that they could do to themselves versus a clinician doing that examination for them. And the diagnostic accuracy was the same. Mm -hmm. What if telehealth, to your point of like, do we have to touch people? What if it's equivalent? What if, what if you, can, you can take a spine pain patient, do an appointment like this without manipulating their back, without touching soft tissueing their hips or their erectors or whatever, and the efficacy is the same? What does that mean for our professions? Okay, okay. <laughs> That's a tough one. It's a tough one, but... Because this is, this is going to necessitate us learning about this. What's the outcome measure, though? Well, I guess it's the same old outcome measure. Do you feel better? And then usually that defaults to pain. Again, again, it, then it defaults back to what is our job? Because this is the point, right? Okay, sure. let's, let's say that you're correct. And I, to be honest with you, I don't know. I, I don't. And we're also comparing that to the level of soft tissue that was being done prior to this happening. Right. We agree the outcome measures were wrong. The literature, the, the research was, is on soft tissues kind of bizarre. Like whenever you say I do soft tissue, someone goes, there's research to show that you can't break fascia because you can't put enough force into fascia to break it. And I was like, I, I, didn't, I don't want to break fascia. Whoever said I wanted to break fascia. Like, sure. So I, I would, think, argue, you know, I would the, prob the problem with soft tissue of soft tissue work was never even studied because when I say to someone, find pronator teres, they've been in practice for 30 years. You can't even show me where it is. Like, I don't know that we've ever studied soft tissue therapy to the extent that it needs to be studied. No, we haven't at all. We just started assuming how, what the mechanism was without studying it. Yeah. It's, it's the same as spinal manipulation. I just did a talk at uh, Parker in Vegas in February about the mechanisms of action of spinal manipulation. We still don't have a final answer to that. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. But evidence, but evidence from an evidence-guided standpoint, you, you would not disregard the use of spinal manipulative therapy. No, the, we're not talking about efficacy. We're talking about mechanisms. Those are two different conversations. Of course they are. That's what, exactly, right? That's, right, right. Anyway, listen, man, 
we're going to do this again for sure because yeah, man. number one, we have nothing else to do. <laughs> we should do it again tomorrow. We'll do it again tomorrow. <laughs> I'll put on my Thursday sweatsuit for you. And number two, I have, I, have, I have, there's just a lot of questions. I mean, we could have just done the whole thing on back pain, right? Because yeah. there's, there's, there's just so much more time. But I think that we've at least set up the umbrella of what kinds of things we're going to talk about. So whenever we're on a podcast together, yeah, we could, you know, we could do like open it up to some uh, pre-screened questions. <laughs> you mean in the community? I would love yeah, to. Yeah, why not? Why not? Let's see what we get in from this way. But anyway, you, uh, uh, website is? Uh, rrseducation.com. rrseducation.com. Um, at the moment, I don't know what's going on because, you know, businesses are at a standstill. But in your case, there's still, there's evidence, there's, I don't know how many how many re- reviews have you done? Like, do you even have a? Uh, we've we've we're over nine hundred and fifty now. So when everybody asks me, like, how do you keep up to date with the research aside from reading? I mean, when someone's about when someone's going to summarize a lot of stuff for you, and just give you the stuff to read that's important, uh, I would recommend it. So that's one of the ways that I do it for the people who are listening. Um, yeah. But anyway, um, that's it. Give hugs to your family, man. Uh, yeah. Talk, anything else to talk about before we, we, we wrap it up? Um, no, I don't think so. We, we touched a lot of space there, didn't we? Uh, I think we, uh, as, much as, as much as we can do for one sitting. So Yeah, for sure. All right, well, thanks for having me. Keep, it up. Keep up the good work, brother. Thank you, sir. Talk to you soon, man. You bet. <laughs>